Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips Herb, Tax Girl. I'm a tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers and tax practitioners like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. I get a lot of questions about taxes for Americans living outside the United States. To talk about those, I've asked Natalie Goldstein to the show. Natalie is the founder and CEO of My Expat Taxes. As an IRS enrolled agent, she specializes in U.S. expat taxes, helping the 9 million Americans like herself living abroad required to file U.S. taxes based on citizenship-based taxation. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Natalie. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about how you became an expat first, because I think that's really interesting for a lot of folks. Was this something that happened for work? Was this something that happened personally? Because I think one of the things that we've talked about on this show before I talked to um, with Virginia um, Latore Jaker about this is there's this notion, I think, sometimes that everyone who's living abroad is, you know, C-suite or they're there on, you know, they're there because they have a lot of money and, and they're running a multinational company. And that is not always true. So what is your story? How did you become an expat? That is definitely not true. And yes, so I always say there's two reasons you move abroad. I mean, of course, there can be many, but the main two reasons is, you know, for work, you have an opportunity to move abroad and work abroad or for love, right? Those are two reasons people move a lot. And my story started out with the latter for love. So essentially, I, my husband now, he is Austrian, and I met him back in the US. Then I met him again when I was studying abroad, and I just basically stayed abroad. So that is a long story short there. And I was very fortunate because at the time I was working at a very large international IT company, and we had an office in Vienna. And I, I really, to this day, still can't believe it happened. I told so many people I wanted to move to Vienna because I wanted to be with my fiance at the time and I had no clear plan to get there. And then essentially, because I kept saying it, I met the one person that had a team in Vienna. And again, long story short, she agreed to let me relocate with my international company to Vienna, to the office. And then that's how I started my expat life. But that also meant I started my expat tax journey. And Again, just the notion of everyone that moves abroad is very wealthy and they have everything figured out. That is not the case anymore. Those global relocation packages are no longer there. I relocated and was told, you figure out everything yourself. We are not footing the bill for that tax return. (laughs) So that's my story. Yeah, that's a great story. But it does make me wonder. So you said you started off in IT. How did you make that transition to taxes? Was it because of what you said that they kind of said, figure it out and you did? Or how did you make that transition? Exactly. They told me to figure it out. And so that first year in 2015, I had to figure it out. I went through the internet. I tried the big four. I tried boutique tax firms claiming they could do expat taxes. And honestly, everything was costing $2,000 and upwards. The boutique firms they said they were specialized in expat taxes, but they couldn't tell the difference between Austria and Australia. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was really at that point, I said, you know what, I'm going to do this myself because tax returns are something I have to do pretty much for the rest of my life. And I don't want to rely on 
you know, the fact that there's no good provider for U.S. expat taxes at that time. So I went, did it myself, realized I had a huge interest in it, went through it and became an enrolled agent. And then as I started doing my tax return and going more, I realized the huge need that there be a tax solution for U.S. expats that it was essentially like, you know, a TurboTax or a tax act, like a do-it-yourself expat tax software that was catered to the 9 million abroad. And that's how my expat taxes came to be. So what exactly do Americans living abroad need to know? Like, how is it different? I think sometimes we have a notion that you're just filing a 1040 and it's the same. You're just in a different place, but that's not the case. How is it different? It's very different. So the first part is just to realize that most of the laws written are for Americans in America. So obviously, the way you read the law, you have to make sure that certain things apply to you. But the most important is just ensuring that you are not double taxed on your foreign income. And so anyone that is abroad, they need to make sure that they claim all the expat tax benefits that they're eligible for, such as the foreign earned income exclusion, the foreign tax credit, or a tax treaty benefit so that you're not double taxed when you shouldn't be. Because in most countries, especially if you're in the EU, you're probably paying a lot more income tax in your local country. You want to make sure you're not paying even more to the US when you don't need to. And what about other kinds of returns? Do you find that people struggle with FBAR requirements and, and other disclosures? Or do you All find that that is not, oh, so you do see it in your practice? It's quite a lot. So that's the other part is, okay, you know, you have to make sure you're not double tax, right? So while you're filing your form 1040, you have to figure out, okay, what other forms are included? 2555, 1116, 8833. And then on top of that, if you have foreign financial accounts, not just bank accounts, but foreign financial accounts, then you've got to keep track of your FBAR requirements, right? And make sure that that gets sent to the U.S. Treasury every year if you're over the $10,000 kind of filing threshold. And then if you, you know, are, have even more in your financial accounts that goes into Form 8938, that goes into your individual tax return. And the tough thing about this is, again, it's a lot to understand as an expat, a lot to keep track of. Mm -hmm. But these forms actually carry very heavy penalties, right? Yes. Upwards of $10,000 <laughs> per form. Because again, I think everyone is still in the notion that if you're an expat, if you have money abroad, you must have a lot of money. Yes. Then you have people that just moved abroad to teach English in Asia or something like that, you know, their first year out of college and they have some money in a bank account and they don't realize that because they don't file a certain form, they could be penalized 10,000 US dollars. So it's tough for expats because there's just so many things to keep track of. And then on top of that, getting into even more complexity, if you do decide to open a business abroad mm -hmm. and incorporate it, then you have to think about foreign corporations. And if you have to have, you know, form 5471 in your tax return, or if you have foreign partnerships, if you have even a pension account abroad, right, which almost every person that's employed abroad has some type of retirement pension account, you might have a foreign trust. If you're investing abroad and you invest into foreign mutual funds, pooled funds, things like that, you might have a PFIF problem. So really, again, because I think people are in the notion that if you're moved abroad, you have a lot of money, you can afford these complex tax filings and all the penalties associated. But what really happens is someone that's just trying to make a life for themselves abroad, have money abroad, invest a little bit, maybe start a company, is then just hit with having to file so many different forms, understanding what's the requirement, different due dates for different forms. It gets really complex. I mean, that's, again, why there needed to be a good online tax solution to just say, okay, 
based on what information you have, these are the forms you need, right? right? Because if you just Google it, it's really hard to find a good answer of, okay, this is what you need to file every year. And that's actually what I was going to ask you next is how did you figure it out? Was it something that, is it just trial and error? Was it something that you learned when you were becoming an enrolled agent? Like, how did you figure it out? Because a lot of these things that you and I have just talked about, like some things I think people understand. They understand that if you've never lived abroad, you understand the general concept of double taxation because maybe like me, you live in a state where there's an, a state nearby that, that might also tax you if you have assets or income there. So I'm in Pennsylvania. People in Pennsylvania, even if they never go abroad, understand double taxation because I'm right next to New Jersey and New York, right? So they get that general idea. But things like FBARs and foreign trusts and PFIX and all of those things, that's not the kind of thing that rolls off of your tongue, right? So like, how did you figure that out? Like, how did you, because the weird thing about this is I appreciate what you were saying earlier about, you know, Googling. This is not just something you can Google. What do I need to know and have a comprehensive list? Even if you go to the IRS website, it can be very complicated because it's so fact and circumstances dependent, right? Because what if you don't have a pension and what, you know, there's all these things. So how did you figure that out? Was it the IRS training? Was it something else? Was it just, you know, sheer willpower? <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> and I'm just thinking about if, if I had known what I was getting into, right? But when we started My Expect Taxes, our goal was always, okay, let's service the majority of expats. And we, we started, of course, with simple cases. So we started with people that were just salaried. And then we just kept increasing. So with my expert taxes, we essentially saw so many different clients. Like from the minute we started, we had clients all over the world. And we still have clients really in every single corner of the world coming to my expert taxes. And from there, obviously, we see the different cases. We see what exemptions apply for a certain country, what exemptions apply for a different country. And basically, through all of this experience, because we've been around and we've been specialized in just U.S. expat taxes, we've been able to take all of our knowledge and automate it. And I think that's the most important thing is that the knowledge about, okay, is this retirement account exempt from foreign trust reporting by the new revenue procedure? Mm -hmm. You know, we get that for one client, but then instead of that just being stored in someone's brain, we say, okay, how do we automate it so that when you go to my expat taxes and you have a pension account, we tell you exactly the questions that you need to answer to determine if your pension is exempt or not. And the same goes with PFIFs, right? If you're investing in foreign mutual funds, since we've already figured it out for a certain number of clients, we've automated that if you have foreign investments, you go to my expert taxes, you enter in what type of foreign investments you have, if you just purchase them, if you have distributions, et cetera, et cetera, if you ever made an election before, and then from there, we'll automatically figure out, okay, you're exempt because you're under the reporting threshold, or you're not exempt, you're going to have to have a piece of reporting for every single one of your mutual funds. So again, I guess at the end, it's just breadth of clients we've had and being able to learn all of that. And then right after we do one client's return, not losing that knowledge and figuring out how to apply it for all expats and really automating that process. Because like you said, Kelly, there's so much in there. And so it's a process of organizing it, making sure, okay, we know you're living in this country. We know you have this type of income. We know that the tax treaty with your country in the U.S. for this type of income applies in this way and just automating that. So it solves for every other client that's you know living in the U.K. or living in Germany, et cetera. And do you guys work with folks who have controversy matters too? 
not so much there. So for us, we're really looking for people that are just filing their tax return. For clients that have, say, some controversy issues with the IRS or they're getting audited, we do see a number come in with prior issues. And we look at the prior issues to see if we can solve them. With clients coming through my expert taxes, they file their tax return and they have any issues or questions from the IRS, they'll just let us know inside of our package. Even though we're mostly a do-it-yourself tax software, we always provide post-audit support. We'll call the IRS for you. And at this point, we have just tackled down how to talk to the IRS about tax treaties. And we have, you know, knock on wood, 100% success rate at this moment with dealing with these issues. So it's because we really focus in how to use a tax treaty against the savings clause, et cetera. But essentially, it is a small part of the practice, but because of the way we've automated, we always have a very standard way of reporting so that we don't really get too many audit questions or controversy issues. A lot of my work is controversy work. And it was interesting to me because so my husband works with a lot of international clients and they tend to be inbound business to a U.S. So a little different from mm-hmm. your clients, but folks who are coming over a lot from Western Europe that are setting up shop in the U.S. and they have questions. And one of the things that we found is the controversy work or the, the need for compliance actually doesn't usually happen like in year one. Usually what will happen is they'll file a return. And then they'll have a question about, should I have done something different or should I be doing something different? Or they'll hear something on the radio and think, oh, I didn't do that last year. And then it becomes a controversy or a a compliance issue. So is this something, do you guys um, work on education? Do you just, you know, hope for the best? Like, how does, how does that work with your clients? Do you, because you have to think folks miss stuff, right? Like even the best tax professional you only know what the client tells you. So if the client doesn't reveal something, then it's not going to be on that return. You might not file the right schedule because you didn't know that it existed. So I'm assuming with, especially on a DIY side, there's going to be somebody that's going to miss something because they just didn't know to ask. Do you guys do any kind of outreach? Is there you know, a blog or an email or is there something that you use to communicate with clients or are you just hopeful that the more that they do it, the better they get? Oh, we have so much education around expat taxes because like you said, it's there's so much underneath it. We have everything from our blogs to our YouTube channel, just talking about if you have to file an FBAR, can you contribute to an IRA as an expat abroad? So we have a lot of that. We have webinars that are running too. I do webinars through my expat taxes. I also get asked to do webinars for a lot of different international groups, right? So we're always reaching out to the clients, trying to make it easy for them to understand. I mean, we even have a Facebook group that's really active with people just asking questions all the time. So I think that is a huge part of the business is the education. Because again, a lot of folks don't even realize they have to file a U.S. tax return from abroad. I start off my webinars always saying, look at the back of your passport. And everyone look at the back of your passport. There is a section in there that says that no matter where you live or work, you might have to file a tax return. And it even refers to an IRS publication in there you don't believe me, check later. I have no idea. I've been practicing for a really long time, have a ton of international clients. I've never even thought about it. And I travel. I've never even thought about that. So I am totally going to check my passport today. That's fascinating. Check your passport. It That's has awesome. it there. So technically, everyone should have known because you should read your passport, right? <laughs> no one does that. <laughs> right, but technically, right. the IRS did their job of informing people. Now, at the end, people still don't know. And then, you know, they go to the webinars or they hear something. 
right? They see it on Facebook, et cetera. And they freak out and they go, I've never filed a tax return for 10 Absolutely. years. What mm-hmm. do I do now? And that's where we tell our clients, please don't panic. Because if you Google it, if you ask anyone, most, unfortunately, there's a lot of just kind of scaring clients. Yeah. Fear mongering. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of money in it, right? So what we have is a streamlined um, procedure and that's an MC program from the IRS. And right. if you ask any other tax firm to do that for you, that's basically doing three back years of taxes, six back years of FBAR. So even if you haven't filed your taxes for 10, 20 plus years, you just need three back years of federal tax returns, six back years of FBARs, assuming that you're eligible for this program. And if you ask any other tax firm, they will charge you probably a starting fee of $2,000 upwards to $10,000 for this procedure, which is really a lot of money for folks, right? Especially if you're not making that much abroad. And so we do have the streamlined procedure in my expense taxes. You can actually do the whole procedure file for four years at once, so including the current year, for a very affordable price of under $1,000 to have everything included. And of course, these are a little bit more complicated. So that always runs through a review with a tax professional. So with my expert taxes, yeah, you can do it yourself, but we have a tier professional and a tier premium where professional would be, you do everything yourself before it's submitted to the IRS. A tax professional will actually review everything. Make sure you know nothing looks off. Say you have salary, but there's no pension entered or say that you marked on your FBAR that you got income from your bank accounts, but we see no interest entered, right? So those are things we check for. Mm-hmm. Or you can go premium where we really look through everything, get all your documents and make sure that you're 100% compliant. So we offer essentially all of that. But of course, mistakes happen. So we do see that where clients will come back another year and say, oh, I completely forgot to you know, enter this other salary I had or my self-employment income, et cetera. And you know, at that point, we always do an amendment. And if they owe tax or if they get a refund, et cetera. But that's the power of Mike's Bet Taxes, I think, compared to a lot of other online solutions is it's really anything. You can do it yourself if you're price sensitive. You can do it with a professional. You can do the streamlining procedure. You can file basically any year, even if it's not consecutive. You can file your FBAR. You can do amendments, et cetera. So whatever you need, because for an expat, it's really a lot. And it happens that you miss something. Yeah, no, this is, is something, the fear-mongering thing is really interesting because uh, I, we actually did a lot of um, OVDP and OVDI, uh, DAI work the amnesty programs that you're talking about. And it really was interesting because we would have people that would come in and they were convinced they were going to jail. Like they had seen something. And and my clients actually tended to need the more sophisticated work because in a, a lot of instances, they had very complicated scenarios where inheritances that had not been reported and, you know, things that got really murky. But this willfulness, the IRS has done um, a really good job, I think, on educating people that they need to file. But there is this, because it does go through the criminal side, I think that that makes people nervous. And there, there are tax professionals that do kind of capitalize on the, you know, oh, you, you, know, you had a, an account in Greece that belonged to your aunt that you were co-titled with and you didn't report it, you could go to jail for that. And, you know, it makes people, I think it scares people into non-compliance because they're just, they'd rather kind of stay quiet and hope they didn't get caught rather than come forward because they're terrified of going to jail. Definitely. We see that all the time. And like I said, whenever I start out a webinar, I always go, if you're sitting on the other side of that screen and you're so freaked out right now, please don't be freaked out. So if you're hearing this and you're freaked out, please don't be freaked out because the IRS gives you ways to be compliant. The IRS is not generally out to put you in jail. If you enter the US with your US passport, most likely no one's going to stop you. 
and put you in jail. And if you're scared of that, there are ways to become compliant. And the first step is to find a partner you trust, right, or a service you trust, and just just start filing the paperwork. It's really not so scary. Exactly. There is very little that can be done that cannot be undone or fixed. That is something that I often sit down with uh, my clients and have that discussion because they will tell you they haven't filed or they filed and they left something out. I mean, obviously, when you get over to the willful side, there's a little that's different, right? But for the, the kind of people that we're talking about, it's just people who didn't know. Like a lot of times it's, they heard that maybe you had to file an FBAR, but in their in their brain, they thought, you know, oh, this is only for rich people. This doesn't apply to me. Or maybe they didn't know that it's something that's co-titled and they have signature power over, it applies to them. So it gets really, I think it gets really tricky. It's a lot to have to know. It really is. With the FBAR situation, it's say that you're buying a house abroad and then you have to get obviously, you know, a loan to purchase that house. And then so for one day or so, you have the money from the loan go into your account before you pay off any deposit. Mm -hmm. And then so you say you have maybe at one time 200, 300K in a bank account, but it's only there for a day or two. And they don't realize that that can trigger form 8938, right? Which is the extended version of the FR is what I like to say, right? The FATCA form. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that because it only happened for a split second, but that is what the law says. If you, if you had a lot of money in your bank account at one point during the year, that is what we use to see if you have to file these forms or not, right? Because FBAR is not about having $10,000 in your account the full year. It's about if any moment from all your financial accounts abroad combined that max balance ever reached 10000 and over, you have to file an FBAR. Right. So it, it is a lot to know. And at the end, from what I've seen, expats aren't trying to hide from the IRS. They just don't know how to be compliant. And that's why it's so important to have a very easy, approachable, friendly solution to say, we know that you're terrified because you don't even live in this country and you still have to file tax returns and there's such big penalties that can be involved. Really, it can be as easy as one, two, three to be compliant and not have to worry about it. And of course, then you have the benefits where you can still get the stimulus payments. So even if you're living abroad, you can get the stimulus payments. Even if you're living abroad, you might be eligible for the child tax credit refund. So it's not all bad. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not all right. bad. Yeah. You can get refunds. And say, for example, if you are a remote worker, you have a W-2, you're getting your federal taxes withheld, but you are, let's say, working abroad for a full year, it's very easy actually to get all of your federal tax withheld returned. So there are lots of benefits to filing a tax return from abroad. It's just making sure that, you know, you know what expert tax benefits are out there for you and you know how to optimize your tax return. Right. And this is the same in the, in the U.S. So I, it's one of the things that we talk about a lot generally in some of our, whether it's on the podcast or in some of my columns about, you know, people do have this fear, like, what if I miss something by on my return? But you can actually miss things that are good by not filing. I've told this story before. I had a client who would get mail from the IRS and he was terrified to open it. And so my, my number one piece of advice is always open your mail. But he was so scared. <laughs> He was so scared and he brought a big pile of mail to us because he had not filed and we got him compliant and he actually was due a refund. And the IRS, those letters, a lot of them were telling him that he actually was due a refund because they could tell from their records that he had um, overwithheld. And so, you know, I, I always say like, open your mail and it's not all bad. Like sometimes filing that return means you'll get a check. And actually I forget the numbers, but for a while it was something like, 70% of Americans would get a refund back. So 
you know, this notion that you should be terrified all the time, I think is very overblown because there are situations. I mean, I did write a terrible check last year, (laughs) big, big one. Um, But, you know, that's not every year and that's not every person. I think that, you know, we, we do kind of get, especially right now. So we're, um, we're taping this during tax season and in the U.S. And uh, I do think people get really anxious about what that's going to look like. And it all kind of comes down to the thing that you mentioned before, which is that people just don't know, right? Like this, there's anxiety around what you don't know. And that's the thing is when you have the anxiety, just go for it. And there's so many good solutions out there. I mean, of course, I promote my expat taxes because we're really there for expats. But even if you use any other online filing platform, you can actually go and enter your information. And before you even pay, before you file, just see an estimate. Will you owe? Will you get a refund, et cetera? So there's so many tools available. And Kelly, like you mentioned, I've had people who've sent us letters from the IRS, right? They filed with us. They were terrified. They ended up getting, say, the child tax credit refund and the stimulus payments. So they did the streamlined procedure and they ended up getting like upwards of four or five K as a refund every year for four years. Mm-hmm. And then of course, if you owe money to the IRS and you don't pay on time, you pay interest. But if you were owed money from the IRS and you don't get that refund in time, they pay you interest. Right. And so I will have clients after they file with us and they get, you know, their huge refunds, they'll get a letter from the IRS say, we paid you $100, $200 in interest. And they send it to me. Like, what do I do with this? And I'm like, congratulations, you <laughs> right. got more money. <laughs> right, right. It's fascinating how scared people are of the IRS. And I wish that would change because I mean, I, I understand that if you're on the wrong side, it can be terrifying. Yes. But very rare are you on the wrong side. And the IRS, if you call them there, they tend to be very helpful, depending on who you get. Obviously, if they had a bad day or something, we're all human after all. But right. they have these MC programs. They try to give you as many resources as they can. And at the end, if you are nervous about your tax situation, find a provider or service you trust and just rip off the Band-Aid because it's, who knows, maybe you get a huge refund in the end. Right. And I actually wanted to ask you about, since you brought up IRS letters and calls, how have you found that to be working out during the pandemic? Have you seen Because, you know, in the U.S., I'm sure you've heard on the U.S. side, we've been complaining because IRS is not answering the phone. And for a while, they were not opening their mail. So they were sending out, you know, notices nonstop that were erroneous. Were you seeing the same thing overseas? Was, you know, I know that there's, for example, there's um, a number that you can call that's separate for international taxpayers. Do you get through on that number? How's that working? We do get through pretty well, right? I mean, there was for a moment that it was very difficult to get through. Now it's pretty okay to get through on the international hotline. What I will say the tough part is for anyone that had to paper mail a tax return. So this is kind of something that is quite silly is if you are married to a non-US citizen and you don't have an ITIN or social security number for them, 99% of any US-based tax software will not let you e-file. And you know that's not the case with my expert taxes. We will let you e-file even if you're married filing separately to a non-resident alien spouse, an NRA spouse, if they have no ITIN or social security number, we can still e-file. But a lot of people that are used to the US-based tax softwares or they use even expat tax firms that end up using US-based tax softwares, right? They use CCH or they use Drake or et cetera, things like that. They can't e-file these returns. So they end up having to paper mail their tax returns and then those returns just aren't processed, right? So that is the big trouble we're seeing. It's not so much reaching 
the IRS via phone. It, it happens. I mean, the faxing could be a little smoother, but that's a different <laughs> situation. Nothing more frustrating than when the fax doesn't go through. But what is really tough for expats right now is that if you had to pay for mail a tax return, it's simply still sitting in a pile of paperwork, I think, and just not being processed. And so we have clients that say, I was due a refund. I never received it. Or if they went through the streamlined procedure, because the streamlined procedure, you do have to paper mail those returns because you need an original wet signature on them. It's taking longer to get the refund and that can be tough. And also the other part is if you're an expat and either something went wrong with a direct deposit or you don't have a US bank, you get paper mailed a check and getting a paper mailed a check for the stimulus payment. It's pretty tough. If I got a paper check and I went to my Austrian bank and tried to deposit it, they would just look at me and be like, I don't, we don't even have the equipment to process that paper check. No one uses paper checks out here in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. So, and I wanted to ask you one more thing about dealing with the IRS, which is that, you know, I don't know if you followed or not, but we had a big deal here where the IRS was switching over to ID me and um, it was facial recognition for the, to have access to your online account. And that got scuttled um, and there were a lot of privacy concerns and, and they're going back to something different. We're not sure what that's going to look like just yet. But one of the things that I, pieces of feedback that I got quite a bit of was from on the international side, folks who were concerned because they actually had been excited about ID Me because it allowed them to get verified when they were having difficulty doing that before. And uh, apparently the this stems from the idea that you have to have like a U.S. utility or mortgage or like paperwork from the U.S. to prove who you were. Were you seeing that or what kind of uh, chatter did you hear generally about online accounts and, you know, what might be changing? Were people excited about ID.me? Were they, did they not care at all? What did you hear? Most of them don't care at all because I think they're not hopeful. So as an expat, it is so difficult to access anything because as you mentioned, in order to get verified, you have to have most of the time a US phone number, which we don't really have, right? A US phone number, then you have to have, you know, some type of US credit card or mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, which we just don't have. So a lot of expats don't even try anymore okay. to get through. So when IDME came out, I think to be honest, everyone's just waiting to see if will it even work for us. And we didn't really have clients that tried it because they just gave up on trying to access their online. The ID me was only up for like a minute, it feels like. But yeah, exactly. yeah. I saw a little bit of chatter. Mostly it didn't work, right? This was mm -hmm. the chatter I saw. But there, we didn't really have a lot of inbound questions of, oh, will it work? Or people getting excited about it? Because expats were just under the general notion that it's pretty much impossible to access anything online and you just have to call the IRS directly. Gotcha. And so what would you think? I hear a lot from expats um, who read my blog or my column and, and will send me notes about what they wish were different. And obviously the, um, you know, the, the global taxation piece is, tends to be the things that people complain about the most. But what would you say if things could be different, if something could be changed, what do you think other than changing <laughs> changing the global taxation system, what would be the one thing that you think would benefit, like one change that might benefit expats abroad? Like, it, would it be a, a change in the filing season, the way things have to be filed, whether it's paper or e-file? What would one change be that you think would be really beneficial? Like, if you ran the world. If I ran the world, if I, a process change would be that 
you could e-file streamline returns because a lot of people are getting compliant. It is, it's really tough to paper mail all of that. I mean, a streamline package, each tax package for an expat is probably on average 50 plus pages just because of all the different declarations and disclosures you need. Then you have to file three years of that plus your you know, certification that it was non-willful, et cetera. So that's a lot to mail. And then on top of that, having it postmarked and tracked, et cetera. So of course, getting being able to e-file all returns is a process improvement, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, if I think about the tax code, what could be improved, you know, of course, yes, we could move to residence-based taxation, et cetera, et cetera. But besides that, I think one thing I do see that is quite unfair is the fact that there's not a totalization treaty with all countries. And, you know, the totalization treaties are essentially ma- making sure that you don't pay Social Security tax twice. So you don't pay Social Security tax in your local country and with the U.S. And the U.S. only has totalization treaties with, you know, a handful of countries. And so if you're self-employed abroad and you're in a country where there's no totalization treaty, say Singapore, et cetera, and you're self-employed, then you will still have to pay self-employment tax to the U.S., even if you pay it in your local country. And of course, one could argue that then you're able to contribute to kind of your Social Security benefit account back in the U.S. and get Social Security benefits down the road. So that could be a positive. Mm-hmm. However, I think it should be a choice that taxpayers should be able to make. And just because the country they're living in doesn't have that totalization treaty, they should still be subject to that. So I think that's kind of where I see it gets a little unfair, right? right. Is the double taxation that can happen in terms of Social Security tax, not income tax, but Social Security. And then with that being said, the extension of that is then, you know, expats that have higher incomes being subject to net investment income tax, even if there is a totalization treaty in place. So this is what irks me a little bit. (laughs) IRS, if you're listening, I think that is quite unfair. But besides that, for the most part, if you read through the tax law and you see all the benefits out there, a lot of it is relatively fair or it could be worse. (laughs) Right, right. Well, thank you so much. I think this is really fascinating. Um, and it's a really great perspective because we don't often have, I, I do have um, a lot of folks I work with who work with expats. Not all of them are expats. So um, I think, you know, you're having that perspective is really fascinating. So thank you. Before you go, I have a few questions that we ask all of our guests, our, our rotating questions. So my first question would be, um, if you could be a character on any TV show, which show would you choose? You know, I thought about this one a little bit, and I would say, and this sounds kind of silly, but I would say I'd want to be Carrie Bradshaw on Sex and City, but minus the relationship drama, because that's not interesting to me whatsoever, but more for the fact of just being able to be an author and be a little bit in New York in the fashion. I thought you were going to say shoes when you said Carrie Bradshaw. I thought you were going to say for the shoes. (laughs) For fashion in general. I mean, I told my husband this when I first met him back in California that after university, I was going to move to New York and I was going to work on Wall Street and that's what I was going to do and nothing would stop me. Obviously, then I moved to Vienna and that all got scratched If I could be any character, it would be Carrie Bradshaw being an author, living in New York at that time and all the fashion around it. But that is not my life. (laughs) So that's just (laughs) more of, oh, that would be nice. That looks like it could be fun. Sure. Sure. What is your favorite tax code section or reg? My current one is the new revenue procedure 2017. That makes it a lot easier for expats because essentially it helps reduce any foreign trust reporting. So again, for all you expats out there that have a pension, and I may, might have just freaked you out about the foreign trust reporting, there is that new revenue procedure that 
essentially wipes that requirement away for 99% of pensions, you know, eligible pensions, of course. So that is currently my favorite because I get to give the good news of you don't have to file these crazy, ridiculous forms anymore that cost a lot of money. Right. What is your superpower? The ability to wake up every day and just stay motivated, stay dedicated, and continue to try to improve the world for expats. So every day I wake up and I look at the IRS tax law and I look at the situations and kind of problems that my current customers have and think about how can I automate this and how can I turn this into code and make the best online tax software possible for US expats. I really do think that's a superpower because it requires a lot of energy. That is really delightful. Like that's a really lovely answer. And my uh, last question is tax Twitter wants to know pancakes or waffles? Definitely waffles. Well, you are close to Belgium. So I guess maybe do you get pancakes over in Austria? We do. Okay. The the Kotalashinken, they're a little bit different. So the fluffy pancakes, as you know, IHOP pancakes, definitely not. Mm -hmm. But we do have waffles. I don't know. I've always been a waffle person. Like every time we think waffles, I think of Lego, Lego my Eggos or something. I just love waffles. It's a personal thing. So thank you again so much for being here today. I think uh, this is really valuable. If folks wanted to find you and you wanted to be found either on social media or on the web, where would you send them? Go to myexpettaxes.com. Follow My Expert Taxes on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And that is where you can find me because my life revolves around expert taxes. And that's the best way to reach me. And yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.